Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Do you love watching live TV but are tired of your huge cable bill? Sling TV has the same top cable channels for as little as half the price, so you can save hundreds of dollars while still watching your favorite sports, news, reality TV, and more. Ditch cable and get Sling's total live streaming solution with free local channels. Setup and installation are included. Make the smart choice and switch to Sling TV. Get the best of cable for the best price. Learn more at sling.com slash cut cable. That's sling.com slash cut cable. Setup and installation included with $49 down and $20 a month for 12 months. Restrictions apply. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn. And as always, we'll start off by going over the weekend's results. So, on Friday night, we seen Dusseldorf nil, Mainz 1. That leaves Mainz in 10th, but unfortunately, Fortuna are bottom of the league with only 9 points. Going into Saturday, we've seen Hanover nil, Perth of Berlin 2. Abisovic scoring on his 300th Bundesliga appearance. Hertha are now 7th, but Hanover are joining Fortuna at the bottom of the table, second from bottom. Stuttgart managed to leapfrog both Fortuna and uh, Hanover with a 1-0 victory over Augsburg. Uh, Bremen won, Bayern Munich 2. We've seen Bayern Munich get back two winning ways, moving up to fourth in the table with two goals from Serge Gnabry. Dortmund 2, Freiburg 0. Marco Roy scoring early on from the spot. And then that man once again, Paco Alcazar, scoring his 10th in eight games. Yes, 10th. Unbelievable. But that does mean that Lucas Favre becomes, or Lucien Favre, sorry, uh, becomes the first BVB coach to go unbeaten in their opening 13 Bundesliga games. Things are looking very good for them. The late kickoff game scene, Hoffenheim won, Schalke won, two goals from the spot, Kramerich and Bentaleb. RB Leipzig beat second place Borussia Mönchengladbach 2-0, keeping their fifth consecutive clean sheet at home. Timo Werner on the score sheet for Leipzig. Uh, Frankfurt 1, Wolfsburg 2. Unexpected, maybe, this result, as uh, Eintracht had been doing so well recently. But here's a stat for you. Sebastian Haller got an assist, meaning that he has contributed towards 16 goals this season. That joins only Lionel Messi in the top five leagues this season. Quite an impressive Start of the season for him. The final game of the weekend has seen Nuremberg 1, Bayer Leverkusen 1, in a game that seemed more like a water polo game than a football match with the amount of water on the field. It was a rather, well, dreary affair, will we say. Anyway, that does it for the results. Joining me, as always, is Manu Vett. Manu, how has your weekend been? Yeah, Bryce, it's been pretty good. Um, I took Saturday afternoon off and, um, caught a Canucks game in Vancouver. And it was, it was fun watching a different sport that I do not do any reporting about. So, um, I had my phone away for the entire duration of the match, which was fantastic. Nice one. That for anyone that doesn't know that that's ice hockey, right? Oh, uh, what was the score? The Canucks lost 2-1, but it was, it was good. Um, it is, it was a fun game to watch. Um, and yeah, as I said, different sport altogether, something completely different for once. It doesn't do any harm every so often, does it? Um, joining obviously Manu and I, as always, is Chris Williams. Chris, how was your weekend? It was very nice. Thank you. Uh, it feels so long since Friday night. I can't really tell you what I've done. Um, just enjoyed it. Obviously enjoyed. Um, Sunday a lot, Bryce, as probably you did. Um, enjoyed watching Dortmund, obviously, Saturday as well. Um, and but Dusseldorf Mainz just feels like it was a year ago already. That's how long my weekend feels. Before we jump in, what happened, what happened Sunday? Um, <laughs> well, um, Liverpool somehow won a Merseyside derby, uh, that probably they should have won on balance. 
but it was looking like it was all just going to be a nil-nil draw. And then um, Jordan Pickford did his best Michael Jordan impression, you know, the outstretched mm. logo, and just decided to tap the ball onto the bar onto Ibok Origi's head, who anyone that listens um, and who's a fan of Wolfsburg will be, what, Divock Origi scored a goal? Yeah, he scored maybe one of the most important goals in European football all weekend. His XG must have been just through the roof. I, but Klopp celebrating. Yeah, I, 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 I like that one. Um, yeah, not not gone down too well um, over here in England. Uh, obviously, I think David Wagner got into trouble for it um, two seasons ago with um, Huddersfield against Leeds, but that was because that sort of ended up in a mass brawl, so I can see that. Anyway, Klopp's been um, charged by the FA, probably get an £8,000 fine um, because he's a Premier League manager. It's misconduct, but as there was no nastiness in it, there was no foul and abusive language, there was no goading of opposition benches or supporters, I think he'll just get an £8,000 fine. I'll, I'll take that. If my team, if 1860 would score a 96-minute winner and I was the head coach, I would take those £8,000. Uh, it's off topic, but just saying I would. <laughs> I think it would be a little bit hard not to celebrate like that with that type of goal in the 96th minute, eh? But yeah. uh, we'll not go into that. we got to talk about Bundesliga and German football, don't we? So, um, guys, let's, let's jump in. Uh, as I mentioned, um, Werner Bremen won, uh, Bayern Munich at uh, 2-1. Um, also, um, the Bavarians had a rather good result midweek, didn't they, against uh, Benfica. Um, Manu, would, would you say that they're back to winning ways? Are, are things resolved now? Um, and what other news has come out of the club this week? Well, the Benfica game was very good. I thought that they played very well, but um, Benfica, um, a Portuguese football in, is, I think, in a bit of a dire situation at the moment, right? When you look overall, and Benfica used to be a very difficult team to play um, in the 1990s and in, in the early 2000s even. And nowadays, um, you know, one of the big one of the big teams from the big European league shows up and they they more or less just roll over um, because they just they just can't compete and that was very much evident in this match they're just not up to Man, the, are the you, standard. Are you saying that Benfica or that shit that even Bayern Munich can beat them? Well, they lost six out of six last year in the Champions League, so yes, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> we are just asking for abuse by going down this route. Well, you know, I think the game against Werder was much more telling, wasn't it? Because I thought that Werder actually played very well in that game. And this was another Bremen, another side in the Bundesliga going into the match. And Bremen had struggled going into this game. Um, I think four games without a victory. And they were basically saying before the matches, like, oh, we can beat Bayern. Pavlenka saying, the goalkeeper saying, look, uh, right now the way Bayern playing, we can beat them. And, um, they were playing like that, right? So, Yes, take the Benfica result with a grain of salt um, to maybe put it a little bit less blunt than Chris did. Well, that's it. But um, I think what we're talking about a little bit more than even the uh, performances and the results at the moment is, um, is Chris, uh, the, the talk about Robin and Ribery. We, we've mentioned them plenty you know, in the last, well, 100 podcasts, I suppose. Uh, but... It seems like it's finally confirmed now that both players will be leaving at the end of the season. Um, is this a good thing for Bayern uh, moving forward? Uh, yeah, well, Robin's definitely going, and um, Ribery is likely to follow. Uh, I think it is. I uh, express my thoughts on the news as, as yeah, Bayern are moving in a different direction. They are a very, obviously, very famous club, very successful club, but they're coming, and we've said this a lot in this podcast, and everyone listening will know that, they're coming to the end of this cycle of, of dominance and they need a full clean out. And it happens to every side. It happened to the Real Madrid side in the 60s. It's it's starting to happen to the Barcelona side now. It happened to Manchester United in England. It's happened to teams in Germany previously. Wolfsburg, for example, when they started hemorrhaging all their best players. The players leave, the teams go through a cycle, players leave and they need to be replaced. And I think that's what we've all been critical about is that maybe Bayern haven't built up to this position yet. They haven't made players and, and now is a real critical time for them because I quite likely think that the both of them will leave. I probably think, uh, well, no, I don't, I don't probably think, I do think uh, that Hummels will also leave. So they're going to have to maybe buy a, a new, a couple more players, maybe go through the scouting department, um, bringing in some newer players. The likes of Gnabry, 
likes of Getzka, uh, the likes of Rudy um, and, and Sula. That's the sort of players that they need. And ultimately, a replacement for Neuer at some point. So, yes, I think what we're going to see, it's a very long answer this, Bryce, I'm sorry, but um, what we're going to see now is the start of the the last 10 years and, and maybe the last six, this title winning side, that's just steamroller um, German football, will be broken up. And it's going to be really interesting to see how they're replaced and what the fallout will be for Bayern in two to three seasons' time. And I suppose uh, one of the players that we talked being that part of that next generation of, uh, well, Bayern's success, they'll be hoping, is Serge Gnabry, who scored two this weekend, I suppose. But, um, Manu, how will um how will Robin and Ribery's uh, legacy be seen um when when we look back on it? Well, I I think Jonathan Harding put it very well in his article for DW. Um, I, I retweeted it, and I, it's really worth a read. He said Robin may be the best player at Bayern for the last ten years, and I think he he might be right. And I think Ribery is probably in that same category. Um, one thing that's been circulated a lot this week after the announcement came out with Robin, um, Oli Hoeneß actually said at a, at a fan club meeting in uh, Franconia that he doesn't think Ribery will come back either. So um, it's not officially confirmed, but it pretty much is. And there, there was, there was um, the 2010 game against Manchester United where Rob Ribery played in the corner all the way outside the, the 16 yard box and Robin just hit it, that ball directly and it went in and it was the 3-2 on the night which saw Bayern go through an aggregate to eventually make the final um, against Inter and that was really the beginning of that era right uh, of the robbery era and I think when we look back um, we will have to look back and say okay well these two players really defined the club over the last 10 years they were probably the best left-right wing combination when they were both healthy in world football, when they were at the peak. So that is the legacy they're going to leave behind. They're going to be the club legends. And I think the game, I thought Robin was very good against Benfica. He was excellent, actually. And I think there's still a few more good games left in him. So he may, and this is maybe one thing where I slightly disagree with Jonathan Harding. He said they should have maybe parted ways two years ago. I slightly disagree with that. Two years ago, they were both still very, very good players. And I think they both may have just caught it just in time, that exit door. Sometimes it's, sometimes people leave, leave too late. I think they may have just left just in time. Um, because I think Bayern will still finish top four this year. Um, in the end, the good memories will overshadow, uh, the negatives. I mean, remember, they have won six Bundesliga titles in a row and the Champions League. Yeah, hell of an achievement. Both fantastic players. Um, and they'll be missed, but I, I suppose every player has to come to the end of their career, don't they? But uh, Manu, and, and speaking about people who could leave Bayern, uh, they're not the only two. There's um, there's some other names um, also um, uh, further up in the, um, I, I don't know, up up in the boardroom. Yeah. Um, this 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 is a pattern, uh, Chris, that's emerging here. Every Friday we get the big Bayern news. Um, this Friday they had the AMG, the annual, or the AGM, sorry, the annual general meeting. And, uh, but while Bayern announced once again, big record sums of, um, you know, annual turnover, I think that the region of 660 million euros, um, I think they have bunkered somewhere in the region of 440 million euros in their savings account. This is money that they own, right? It's not loaned money. This is just money that they have lying around that can be used for investing. Those are all you know, record numbers, but there was a lot of criticism towards Hoeneß and Rummenigge. Um, the deal, the Qatar deal was criticized. Um, the way the club has treated uh, club legend Paul Breitner. Paul Breitner, of course, spoke out against Hoeneß's and Rummenigge's press conference that took place on a Friday about four or five weeks ago. And um, he was also criticized for giving Kovac a three-year deal um, by some fans. And then he was booed um, for not wanting to discuss any of these issues at the um, annual general meeting. And that is, you know, afterwards you could sort of see that there was a little bit of resignation. Behind closed doors, Rummeninger and Hoeneß are working on 
their legacy and who's going to take over. And one name that you hear over and over again is Oliver Kahn um, to become the next CEO once Romanigas steps down. I think that's a logical choice. Um, Oliver Kahn has an MBA. He's um, well educated. He's built actually a business since he's retired. Goal play that's that uh, represents the Bundesliga in Asia, and he's very successful in that department. So he has he has walked that path successfully from the pitch to the boardroom in some ways, and is a very well known figure around the world. He is a kind of person who can who who gets respect from the players for what he has achieved, but can also get a meeting with someone from with the CEO from Siemens, for example, right? Or the um a high ranking politician in Munich, right? That's that's the kind of profile he has. And that's the kind of profile you want to look for. Um so that is sort of in the works. The big question of course is Oliver Kahn willing to give up his private enterprise to take over Bayern as a CEO. Well Manu, do you think it would be a good move in your opinion? For Oliver Kahn? Well, yeah, I mean, you you probably know his personality better than most. Uh, do, do you think that he he'd be the right man for for such a position? Yeah, I do think he would be the right man for that position. The question is, does he want to give up his own business ventures? Um, this will not be a cheap transfer for Bayern to use those terms, because if you are, take someone who's successful in his private enterprises, you will have to offer them significant money to take over a club, because Bayern being the CEO of Bayern is a full time job. You cannot run a business on the side, right? So I think that is the, from what you hear uh, from Oliver Kahn's party, this is the one thing he's still kind of contemplating. Um, but on the other hand, I think I could see him do it because remember when we had the whole Philip Lahm situation where Philip Lahm wasn't given the power because Hoeneß and Romanigge were still around. This would be different here. The club is willing to give Kahn all the power um, to run the club the way he wants to run the club. This is John Grills from the Creepy Podcast. With Best Christmas Ever on AMC+, Plus, every day feels like Christmas morning. From new holiday favorites like Elf and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation to modern iconic family classics like The Polar Express and The Year Without a Santa Claus, you can spend the holiday season opening only the good stuff. Plus, you get a stocking stuffed with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men. New series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond. And you're also getting your favorite iconic Christmas movies without having to search. AMC Plus is available on all your devices. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. Yes, indeed. And uh, Chris, I mean, you mentioned about um, Robin and Rebury leaving and that really you know, th- things need to change for Byron. You know, it, it's, it's probably time. But do, do you think there's a risk then of, you know, two legendary players, three potentially, you said it as well with Hummels, and then, you know, like of Romanegger and Hones, um, maybe not staying at the club in the boards. Do you think that this is all maybe too much for a club to go through a, a change like this? Or or do you think Bayern are the type of club that can come out of this and, and be rather successful quite quickly? Yeah, I think they, they are probably big enough to deal with this if they were um, someone, no disrespect, but if they were someone like Freiburg or if they were someone like Mainz, I don't think it's wise to have three or four of your elder senior players leave and then maybe two or three connected with the higher uh, management of the club for to leave. But someone like Bayern, yeah, they can because they will make sure that they bring in the best, as Manu's already suggested. Um, and I think if you're going to do a clean break of, of a club as big as Bayern, maybe it's better to shed the skin like a snake um, and just get rid of it all in one and then everybody knows where they are. You're not saying, okay, so... Robin and Ribery are leaving this year with maybe Hummels and then next season Hurness is leaving this season after that um, Rummenigge is leaving if everybody goes and then the start of next season there's new people in the job everybody's working off the same um, everybody's singing off the same hymn sheet uh, everybody knows which way the club's going to go there's nobody half concentrated because they've got an eye on the exit everybody's brand new in fresh raring for the challenge to take Bayern back to the top so I think it could work in their favour yeah, and maybe just to add real quickly to this, the, the way I understand this, that um, there would be a bit of a transition period. Um, so th- the next season, I, I agree with Chris. I think Hummels could be one of the players out of the door, especially if Kovac sticks around. But then next season, Romanigo and Hoeneß would then bring in the um, 
bring in their replacements, um, but not leave right away. I think they, they want to soften the blow a little bit, um, which makes sense because as you said, Chris, a lot of people leaving all at once that, that can be a big turnover. Yeah, it can be a hard thing to recover from, can't it? But we, we have mentioned for quite some time that we feel that they do need to change a few things at the club. And I suppose the, even the results this season have, you know, uh, only supported that theory as well. But, um, I've got to go back to you, Chris, on, on this one. Um, the, there's, there's talk, if, if we speak about Dortmund for a, a little moment and, and Pulisic, we've mentioned them plenty of times and that's he'd possibly be on the move maybe in the summer but it, it could be earlier than that with the uh, talks of him going to Chelsea um why is this why why an early move and what's the likelihood well Chelsea are trying to get an early move because they have got a potential upcoming transfer ban uh, which could be instigated by um, FIFA in in January so they're hoping to bring forward any transfers that they may want to do next summer um through to January now, Dortmund have said all along that they're not prepared to let him go before the end of the season. And I think that's quite wise because they're in the middle of a title, not a title fight at the moment. They're on the top of the league, seven points clear. So maybe more of a title cruise. But at some point, that title cruise will turn into a title fight. Um, and if, you know, God forbid for um, Dortmund, they get an injury to Sancho or uh, Bryn Larson. Royce, they're going to need these extra attackers that they've got. Um, and Pulisic is obviously a fantastic player and they should be able to call on him at any point during this title um, season, title campaign season. So um, Zork and Vasco have already said he's not going anywhere. Um, I think Chelsea would be keen to maybe organise a transfer um, where they could sign him in... Um, and then not take delivery of him until the summer. They could do that potentially. Um, but only today, um, one of the London Evening Standard journalists that's well connected to Chelsea has said, um, was confirmed reports in Dortmund from their local press that, um, Chelsea have made a bid, but Pulisic has said that he would prefer to go to Liverpool. So maybe that won't. Um, put him in good stead with um, the Chelsea hierarchy, saying that, OK, yeah, I'll go, but I'd rather actually go to one of your title rivals. Um, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Obviously, Klopp knows him well. Um, Bayern would obviously be very interested. There'll be other big clubs around Europe looking as well. So we'll have to see it. But I can't uh, I can't see him going in January, um, as in leaving Dortmund in January. I could see him agreeing a deal with somebody in January. Um, but yeah, Chelsea would like it to be quicker because they're potentially going to be under transfer ban. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this one uh, plays out and whether he does move sooner rather than later. Um, but uh, let's talk about um, or so the then actual individual and the Riviera Derby is is coming up uh, next weekend. Always a rather exciting affair, especially um, last year's. Um, this is going to be. No, a late kickoff, which I'm a little bit disappointed about on Saturday. I mean, it's going to be trickier for us to, to get information and to watch it, I think. But um, things are obviously going very well for Dortmund, but Leicester so Schalke this year, uh, Manu. Uh, what way do you see this um, game going? Do you, do you see Schalke being able to upset BVB? This is a tricky thing with derbies, isn't it? Um, I mean, when you look on paper, Dortmund will be the team to absolutely dominate this game and um, win this game easily because of the way Schalke have played all year. But it's a derby and uh, the Revere derby in, is is probably the biggest, well, probably it is the biggest derby in German football. And um, we all know how derbies work. I mean, you guys just experienced a big derby in Liverpool on Sunday, you know, the favorite doesn't always blow out the underdog. It just doesn't work that way. And then I think on top of that, you have to, this is something that we've observed a little bit with Dortmund the last couple of weeks, um, not more than a couple of weeks, the last couple of months is that they play very well offensively unless they play against a team that likes to defend with, um, three or five in the back, you know, the, the flexible, um, defensive three that turns into a defensive five when they defend and, that has been something that Dortmund really has struggled with, these wide defensive lines. You know, when there's five defense, defenders lined up around a box, making it very difficult to get through 
on the right and left. The flank play is something that they then start to struggle with. And we've seen that um, during the week against Bruges. I mean, against Bruges, they had a thousand... A thousand and one passes. They completed 930 of them. You know, that's a pass completion of 93% and had 76% ball possession, but they could, they could not produce very many good chances. And that's because Bruce was very good at keeping Dortmund away from that attacking third. And when you look at the way Schalke play, they're not a fun team to watch. They haven't been a fun team to watch under Tedesco ever. Um, you know, with the one exception, maybe that 4-4 against Dortmund last year, pretty much exactly a year ago. Um, they have not been a fun team to watch, but the way I see it, they're exactly the kind of team, the way they are set up. And in a derby, you are super motivated. You you approach that game very differently than you would approach any other game. Um, Tedesco might just get, with his tactic, might just get a result out of this game simply because Dortmund have been struggling against lineups like Schalke's. You know, that's three, or do they play three, four, two, one, sometimes a three, five, two, um, I can see Tedesco even going with five in the back. And that is something that, you know, Lucien Fabi will have to find a solution for. And um, I think that could be one where Dortmund maybe will drop points. Yeah, I think Schalke would get a good kick out of that. But Manu, there, there's possibly going to be uh, two Americans on the field in Pulisic and Weston McKinney. Um, does this mean that there's going to be more of an interest uh, from um, a U.S. crowd? Well, that depends if Pulisic plays. Um, you know, there's all this interest in him, but he hasn't been playing very much because against Bruce he started, then on Saturday he was, Chris covered this game, so maybe have him chat a bit more about that one in particular, but on Saturday he was out with muscular problems, I believe. And so the question is, is Pulisic going to play? Weston McKinney is very important for Schalke because he, he almost plays like a quarterback, doesn't he? And, He's very good in linking up midfield and defense, and there will be a lot of attention stateside. I mean, Fox um, already is pulling pulling out all the stops to basically advertise this game big times and um, underline that American factor that's taking place um, in this game. Weston McKinney against Pulisic in Germany's biggest derby. I mean, this is something that you want to advertise if you're an American uh, television provider. And Chris, that's true go to you, just as Manu said. Uh, do you agree that possibly Schalke could um, could upset uh, Dortmund's uh, here, uh, giving therefore uh, people like or teams like Gladbach and Bayern a, a bit of a chance uh, going into the the winter break? Well, Manu is in fact quite right as he normally is um, that Dortmund have struggled to break down sides that go five at the back and and even go five four one. So you've got two um, heavily loaded defensive banks and. Uh, they've uh, struggled against teams like Hanover, Hertha, and as, as Manu said, against Club Bruges. Um, and they did struggle a little against Freiburg. Um, Freiburg were exceptional. They worked really, really hard. And um, I put in my thoughts after the match that Christian Strike must be devastated that they left with um, with no points and a two-goal deficit because balance of play, they probably didn't deserve that. Had they got a draw... Um, it, it may have been a, a well-earned one, but to counter to counter this, I thought that Dortmund were exceptionally patient on um, on Saturday, and that is something that I've not seen as much this season. So maybe Favre has been working on it because they were quite happy to recycle the play left to right, forward to backwards, um, and they waited for that initial moment where they could get in behind and, and they did that. Um, they did that twice and scored um, and almost scored from one more. So I think they got in behind three times. Um, Jordan or Jaden Sancho, Keita, every single one of them. Um, so that was the little bit different from me than what I saw, especially when I was in the stadium against Hertha. They almost started to rush it a little bit. Now, I guarantee at the time that they were 2-1 up against Hertha and there was a little worry in the stadium that Hertha might pull it back and there was a, a bit of poor game management. I think that's changed over the last couple of weeks. Now, where they didn't manage to break down Club Bruges, they didn't really have to. I think the uh, Riviera derby over the weekend is, is going to be a real test for them. And because it's away, I would say if they can restrict Schalke to no chances in the first half an hour and they can just play this football where they're happy just to keep the possession, then... Don't forget, if you keep hold of the ball, 
you're going to make your opponents work really hard. Now, Freiburg did work hard to their credit, but as a team, they ran an extra five kilometers in Dortmund because you have to work a lot harder when you haven't got possession of the ball. So that's, I think, that something that this Schalke side may suffer from because I don't think from what I've seen that they'll have the same discipline um, to work hard as a unit and to run the same as Freiburg did. So it's going to be a real interesting derby, as they always are. And the man is quite right. You don't know what the score could be. It wouldn't be a surprise for Schalke to win because it is a derby. But I, I can't see anything apart from um, a Dortmund win here. I think Dortmund will have enough quality to eventually break them down. And every time I've seen Schalke this season, one thing that has struck out is that they are exceptionally poor at the back. And when they come against a good attacking um, three or a good attacking four on the break, they could get hammered. Yes, it's going to be an interesting game, I feel. Um, well, good luck to Schalke trying to get anything out of it with how uh, Dortmund have played this season. But uh, I mentioned that it was a good weekend for Dortmund, um, also for Bayern Munich. But uh, let's talk about RB Leipzig, who um, managed to beat second place Borussia Mönchengladbach and therefore move third. And they're only a point behind them now. Um, Manu, a, a great result for them, eh? And it's, it, it, defensively, they're, they're looking pretty good recently. Yeah, it's, um, it's the Bundesliga Leipzig versus the Europa League Leipzig, right? Um, I, I covered the game against, against Salzburg where I actually thought they, they played pretty well, but just Salzburg had that little bit extra. And then, um, in the Bundesliga, they just, Rangnick's, Rangnick's game plan just seems to be working much better. Um, it's, it's interesting how, how this Leipzig side, remember when they first came into the Bundesliga, it was all about attack, 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 attack. And when you look at the, the top six right now, um, they have just conceded 10 goals in the 13 games and that's, the least amount of any any sides in the Bundesliga, and that's a, that's a very impressive, and it's very much maybe what we what very much against what we would expect from any Leipzig side because they've also only scored twenty four goals, which is a, the least amount of all the top six sides, right? So a little bit against the um, Red Bull grain, um, so to speak, but I think it's it is something that we have to keep an eye on because it is the it is something that could help Leipzig challenge for the title in the end. And with Bayern having an off year, um, Borussia Dortmund is looking very steady. But I think if Dortmund should Dortmund drop one or two games, um, then Leipzig will be right there. And I think Rangnick and Chris, you've said this um, on this podcast before. He may have identified that right because there is there seems to be a bit of discrepancy between how they play in Europe and the way they play in the Bundesliga. Um, you know, you don't lose 1-0 to Salzburg and then just a few days later beat uh, Gladbach 2-0. Um, it's just just not supposed to happen that way. So I think that Rangnick maybe is looking at this and is like, look, if we can keep touch with the top, and that's Borussia Dortmund, until the winter break, four more games, then reinforcements will arrive and we have maybe a chance in the second half of the season to really challenge for the title here. Yeah, that... That hit home to me, especially when I was in Celtic, because the side he put out, I know they had a couple of injuries that particular week, but the side he put out um, was never really going to challenge um, Celtic at the top level at their on their own ground at Celtic Park. And even in the post-match press conference, he, he, wasn't, he didn't really look that interested in any of the questions. I think it became an inconvenience for them. And, and I do believe it's because he's identified that this season is probably the best shot that Leipzig will have of winning the league for the for the three seasons they've only been in it. So the first season they went very close and were a surprise package. Last season, I think, you know, we talked at length how um, they couldn't really cope with that European battle rhythm and their squad was a little short. And, and this season, as you're quite right, Manu, um, Bayern is stuttering and they're the best of the rest at the moment. And I think that, Ragnick's identified the fact that Leipzig could go all the way this season in the Bundesliga and he's happy to sacrifice what is still Europe's second competition. I think if they're in the latter stages of a, a fight in the Champions League group and they're potentially getting through to the round of 16 in the Champions League, I think maybe he's got a decision on his hands. But the fact that it's the Europa League 
Um, and Leipzig won't be happy with being in that from the start, obviously playing in the Champions League last season and eyes on playing in the Champions League again next season. I think they're probably quite right uh, to identify a competition to put by the wayside and the Europa League's it. But I mean, Chris, would you not say that maybe eight points behind at this stage, it's a, it's almost too much. You know, Bayern have never come back, you know, for more than seven points. Uh, we heard a few weeks ago in the Bundesliga. How can RB Leipzig expect to possibly do that when they maybe don't have the squad that Bayern would have had over the years? I personally think they've got more chance of clawing back those eight points than they have of getting to Europa League final and winning it. And the quality in that competition is still too much. Well, that, I, I'm meaning more if you leave Europe out of the equation completely. Do, do you really think that they can catch Dortmund and maybe even pass Dortmund this season? Well, that would obviously depend on Dortmund having a little bit of a crisis. But as Manu said, should they have that crisis now with this uh, win against Gladbach, it sort of puts Leipzig right up there to take any sort of advantage of that. And if Ragnick's trying to fight both competitions, uh, then something has to give. And I'm pretty sure that he won't want his um, Bundesliga um, form to give. So he's quite rightly identified that this could be a chance for them to go. I mean, if, if he just goes, all right, well, you know what? The game's over. We're in the start of December. Dortmund are too far ahead. We'll just give it up. If then Dortmund were to implode round about February time and Leipzig can't make up that gap, then I think everybody would be saying, what's Ralf Ragnick doing? But he's identified that this is probably your best shot. I say if Bayern Munich stuttering and, and are not the races, which they don't seem to look like, even over the weekend, they, they had a good, um, solid, I suppose, performance against Werder Bremen, but it wasn't anything that we've seen at Bayern Munich in the last few years. If, if they're struggling then you want to be there or thereabouts to be able to have a title pop at that. I personally think Dortmund will go all the way now, um, but should they have a problem, then you know Leipzig will want to be there to take control of it because if we look back two seasons, had Bayern Munich had a stumble, Leipzig would have taken full advantage of that and would have won the um, Bundesliga in their first season, which would have been incredible. So I'm pretty sure that's what's playing on Ragnick's mind, is that he's identifying how if it all goes wrong for Dortmund, how are Leipzig going to be sat to challenge that? Yeah, wouldn't that be something else? But, um, Manu, you, you mentioned that, you know, maybe squad depth might be a bit of an issue. Maybe bringing in some, um, some, some, you know, fresh players might, might make all the difference. Um, what type of areas do you think that they need to address? Uh, and is there anyone lined up for them to bring in? Yeah, um, I thought in again the game against Salzburg, if they one of the big problems that they had was a lot of injuries in, in midfield and Kevin Campbell, um, who has been very good this season when he was fit, and uh, Forsberg as well missing right for for big parts of the season already. That really means that they they're lacking a little, little bit in transition transition play, and is maybe also one of the reasons why they're playing so defensively in the Bundesliga. Why they are not doing this quick counter transition? I mean, you have we have games where Bruma has to play in midfield and he's a winger, right? It's just it it you can tell that um, that they had transfers in mind in the summer and for whatever reason they didn't work out. And I mean, one of those transfers they now are completed and that's uh, assigning the right word. Um, they delegated Tyler Adams from Red Bulls New York to. To Germany. He's a very good midfielder. He's one of the best midfielders in Major League Soccer, only 19 years old. And um, this was a transfer that I wrote an article on this in September, um, when it more or less emerged that this deal was going to happen. Um, both sides were very quiet about it. It was one of those, those secrets that everyone knew about. And, uh, but no one really wanted to make it official because New York Red Bulls, of course, they played their semifinal in MLS. Um, last week and they wanted to wait until that season was over until they want, wanted to complete that move. So that's, that's one player. Um, I've written a scout report for, on Tyler Adams it's on Pro Soccer USA and I identify some of the things he can do. He's not, he's going to be a navigator replacement, but not the navigator replacement. He's very good in getting the ball in midfield, 
and that quick run that you need, you know, that box-to-box midfield run that you need and that they're lacking a little bit right now. Um, they have been lacking since Cater left. They, he can bring that to the team, but I don't think he can bring it to the team on his home because he's a 19-year-old who's making the move from MLS to Bundesliga. It's a big step up, right? So I think, and this will be player number two. Um, remember Rangnick said that they have signed two players and that will be Mr. X. Um, many believe that's Amadou Haidara from Salzburg. Haidara is out for four months uh, with an ankle injury, so not sure if he will be a help right away. So I think, Chris, with, with that news, especially the Haidara news, I can see them maybe sign someone else on top of the two players um, that they've already signed. So, guys, uh, let's uh, move on and talk a little bit about uh, the protests that happened in Liga 3 um, this week. Um, a lot of people might be going, well, what, what is this um, that we're possibly talking about? Um, Manu, I think you'll be able to um, break it down uh, better than most. Um, so, so both teams kicked off um, and refused to touch the ball for a minute, and then they, they finally got underway, but it was a r- rather bizarre scene. Um, what... What exactly was this for? Uh, and um, Is it likely to happen again? Yeah, so the the Liga Dry uh, protests. Um, yeah, that's that's one of many. I mean, German football seems to be be full of protests these days, isn't it? And um, this one was in particularly funny. I, I tweeted out the video that was shown by NDR. That's the North Norddeutsche Rundfunk. Um, they highlighted the Braunschweig game. Where the, the two clubs, um, they passed the ball once, passed the ball back and then didn't do anything for a minute. And the reason for that is, and I think I've explained this on this podcast before, is the bottleneck, as they call it, between the fourth division and the third division. Um, we have five regional divisions in German football and we only had, well, until this season, we only had three. Uh, teams getting relegated from the third division to the fourth division. So that meant out of the five champions, only three of them managed to get, get a chief promotion, right? They had to play playoffs against each other. And my club 1860 was involved in these playoffs because 1860 won the Bavarian division, but then had to play Saarbrücken, who won the, um, Southwestern division. And 1860 achieve promotion at the expense of another team that actually ended up winning their regional division, right? So the lawmakers in German football have said, well, this isn't really fair. If you play 34 or between 34 and 38 games, because the divisions have different sizes and you win that division or finish in the Southwestern division, the first two actually um, make the playoffs or you finish second, you should be given an automatic promotion right the champion should be promoted so the the fourth division the fourth division said okay well we're going to reform in order to help the fourth division reform Liga 3 said the third division said okay we are going to introduce an extra relegation spot so instead of three teams getting directly relegated we're going to make it four but that is going to be our contribution you down in the fourth division, you have to merge. You have to get rid of one of the divisions. And, you, you know, one of the five divisions has to give and has to be merged with the other one. So the the lawmakers quickly identified, okay, that that must be the Northeastern Division, the old GDR League, um, which is now governed by the old GDR Football Association, the NOFV. And petty politics, regional politics in German football are very strong. They said, well, we don't want to give up our league. And then Bavaria said, well, the Bavarian league said, well, we don't want to take teams in from, from that division because we don't want to give up our Bavarian league. So they basically had this discussions last week and said, came up with no solution on how to fix this promotion relegation problem. And then the third division said, look, we gave you an extra relegation spot. We want you to come up with something. And that's what this protest was about. It was about basically telling the, the DFB and the different regional associations within Germany, get your act together. Because in the end of the day, we gave we gave our part. You have to do your part now and try to come up with a solution in this. And Manu, do you think that there's going to be a solution from this? Or, or, or do you think this is going to be a bit of a long, drawn-out process? It's, it's very difficult. The, the big difficulty is that um, we have Rainer Koch, for example. He's the... 
president of the Bavarian Football Association and um, the Bayerische Fußballverband. And he's also the vice president of the DFB. So he gets his power from a very strong regional football association, right? And the Regionalliga Bayern, um, it's the only regional division in German football that has the name of one of the German states in the league, right? The Regionalliga Bayern is his pet project. And having the Bayern Liga sort of in his back as his, as a strong first division that represents the state of Bavaria is something that they get a lot of power from. The same is true for the power makers in East German football, right? Having that strong regional league is a big power base. So they don't want to, they don't want to budge. It's, it's power politics. It's a, it's, it's a, one of those, those regionalisms in Germany that are quite common in Germany. We see them in federal politics as well, that sometimes states broker with each other because they want, they want to get something from one another, right? They, 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 Germany's strength in many ways is decentralization, but it's also sometimes one of its weaknesses. And it shows it right there that regional politics can be very strong. And I think it's going to be very difficult for one of those regional politicians, because I think a lot of clubs would be quite happy to, to come up with a compromise. But the politicians on the top, they are not willing to give up their power base. Yeah, all politics, eh? Um, hopefully they get some type of resolution uh, rather soon there. I, I have a feeling this is going to go on for, for a little while. But um, Chris, I have a feeling that uh, you're going to be bugged all week by potential news coming out of Southampton um, in in a new managerial appointment that, that well, looks like it's going to happen. All, all, the, all the media sources are reporting it. Um, what exactly is going on? Uh, Mark Hughes has been sacked. Yeah, so Southampton, um, who are um, just about um, clear of propping up the Premier League, so they're third from bottom at the moment, uh, with games coming this week, sacked their manager, Mark Hughes, um, ex-Manchester United player, for anybody who doesn't know who he is. Um, he's one of these British managers that goes on the management merry-go-round. Um, I read a fantastic um, tweet today of, of the money that he's earned just from being sacked, which is phenomenal. Um Football's the only industry where if you perform really badly, someone pays you your contract out. So yeah, he's he's earned his um, last few jobs by this management merry-go-round. So put him for anyone that watches English football in the same bracket as Alan Pardew, Sam Allardyce, Tony Pulis, those sort of managers, where he's just known for going to lower league sides doing really not much and then getting sacked. So anyway, Southampton have sacked him because they're looking at going back to how they were. They used to have um, Pochettino who left for Spurs. Um, they used to have Mitchell who left for Leipzig, recruitment specialist. Um, so um, Southampton have um, identified um, Ralph Hastenhull as their new manager. Now, this broke uh, Monday morning in the UK. Um, that would have been Monday, the 3rd of December. Broke early doors that um, Hughes was sacked. And then very, very quickly, Southampton-based media um, in the national, so the regional reporters for the national newspapers, uh, very quickly said that um, Hassan Huttle had been identified. Um, that sort of grew legs over. Obviously, we're talking on Monday night, the third, even the night of the third. Um, and now it's looking as if that's pretty much a done deal, in inverted commas, um, because there's no official announcement from either um, Southampton or from um, Hassel Huttle himself. But it looks very likely uh, these things happen in football all the time. A manager's sacked after a draw. Southampton drew with Manchester United 2-2 um, over the weekend, and Hughes was sacked. Um, something very similar happened at Liverpool. Um, Liverpool drew with Everton, Brendan Rodgers was sacked. Well, that's because they'd already agreed a deal in the club to come in. So these things do happen in football. Um, and yeah, it looks like Ralph Hassenhall could be coming to the Premier League. Yeah, very exciting, especially um, uh, Manu, for a, a guy that uh, we regard quite highly um, with this past in, in the Bundesliga, but only... It seems only uh, recently he was even linked with uh, a job at Arsenal when uh, when Wenger was leaving. Um, they're going to be getting a, a, a fantastic coach um, at Southampton if, if this does go through. I thought Tuchel is taking the Arsenal job. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Um, 
yeah, uh, it's funny because the the last thing that I heard from from Hasenhüttl's camp was that he wanted to do, um, stay on a sabbatical, and then uh, so I was a bit surprised by these news initially. Um, but as Chris said, these things can go super fast, so they did. Um, from what I'm hearing from Germany, Süddeutsche Zeitung um, has pretty much confirmed the deal um, from the German angle. I'm, I'm hearing that, yeah, he's more or less agreed in principle. Now, the reason why I was sort of laughing, um, because agreed in principle in German, if you translate it a little wrongly, can mean something very different. Um, so that's why I initially was like, oh, I hope this is not a translation mistake. Because, yeah, he was quite adamant he wanted to have in the sabbatical until the end of the year which in turn should make Southampton fans very exciting because it means that they must have promised him something to make this job very appealing to him. And that means he's not going to be... i seen a tweet from one of the English writers, I don't know, remember who it was, that said he will be another typical firefighter. Um, I can't see that at all. He is a concept coach. You bring him in because you want to build something. Ingolstadt did this. He got Ingolstadt to the first division, kept him in the first division. Then he moved on to Leipzig. Um, he finished second with Leipzig. He finished sixth with Leipzig last year, which, yes, wasn't that great, um, comparing it to the first season, but that's the first two seasons in the Bundesliga. You know, I don't, don't see very many promoted sides that can say that. Um, the one thing that people criticized a little bit in Leipzig the second season, and we discussed this quite a bit on the pod, is that there was a bit of regression in the sides development. And this is something that Rangnick, He's very harsh. Um, he didn't like that. Hasenhüttl lacked a little bit of a plan B tactically. And some of the players didn't make the step forward that the club expected. Timo Werner is, is a good example, right? And then the fact that he didn't like to train set pieces. Um, how many goals did they concede from set pieces? And how little goals did they score? That was a big um, manner of contention. Um, I remember that quite well. We covered Leipzig on the ground quite a bit last year. And that is something that was repeatedly said. So... I think those are things that um, he will have to address himself. But sometimes, and I, I think this is this is quite fitting to Hasenhüttl's career, sometimes you have to take a step back in order to take two steps forward. Because no disrespect to Southampton, I actually think that is a step back. But Southampton is one of those clubs that traditionally, historically, and Chris will correct me if I'm wrong here, have always been a club that has sort of been a little bit of a trendsetter. So if he's able to get resources from the club, get the money from the club, and he himself is able to kind of slightly reinvent himself, this could be one of those things where in three, four seasons, he could be at a big club. Yeah, most definitely. And he, Southampton are renowned for bringing through fantastic academy players, Gareth Bale, for instance, um, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. There is many a um, English and British player that started their time as a youngster at Southampton. So he will get to work with exciting academy prospects, which is pretty much what he did at Leipzig, work with very young, talented footballers. Yeah, it seems like Southampton are going to get a fantastic coach there. And uh, yeah, Chris, you're going to be busy, I, I feel, in the next week um, explaining to uh, the, the English media and Southampton fans who exactly they're getting. But um as Chris mentioned, we were podcasting on the Monday night because it was a Monday night game. It was wet, it was dreary, and it was well, it was it was rather bad if if I'm being honest. But um, Manny, more protests. We we talked about a protest earlier, and more protests at a Monday night game. We, we've we've had this last season and the season before, but you guys really don't like Monday night games, do you? Who likes Monday night games? Come on. <laughs> Uh, uh, people sitting in their house, nice and dry, watching a good game of football. But we didn't get any of that today. And no, I really, if you want to, if you're traveling to the games, a Monday night is possibly the worst day to do it. Just uh, ask poor Matt Marshall, who was at this game. Um, <laughs> no jokes aside, I like the banner that Nuremberg had up because the the fans they boycotted the ultras boycotted the first 45 minutes of the game, even though the Bundesliga has already announced that they're going to abolish. Um, the Monday games, I think from 2021 forward, right? And the new television contract. Um, the, it read, we didn't get promoted to play on Monday nights. Um, because of course, Bundesliga two since 1993 had the Monday night games. And in, in the nineties and into 2000, early 2000, if you were relegated, one of the jokes was always, yeah, well, now you have to play on Monday nights. So I, I thought that was actually a, a very good banner. And, um, but it's also a banner with some history because the fans are not only protesting Monday night games 
in the Bundesliga. They've gotten their way in the Bundesliga, but they're, they, they're continuing their protest because they're saying no Monday night games, period. No more on Bundesliga 2, no more in Liga, Liga 3, in Liga 3 where they have it, um, as of this year. So, um, there were protests also in, in the Grünwald Stadion in Munich on top of this one minute protest in the third division. There were protests throughout games in the Bundesliga 2 as well. And today it came out that Bundesliga 2, um, fan, the fan power behind this is just magnificent that they actually going to abolish it starting in 2021 as well. That's huge. I mean, Chris, we've, we've talked so many times about the fan power in Germany. That is it. The fact that they can do it, that they can step in and say, no, we're not going to accept this. We're going to make you play in empty stadiums. Yeah. And for the most part, it's been pretty peaceful. It's been through boycotting. It's been through disruption. But can we say peaceful disruption? Throwing tennis balls onto the pitch, toilet roll, um, that sort of stuff that we saw at Frankfurt last season, Dortmund as, as well with the tennis balls. You know, they're renowned for, um, complaining is the wrong word for protesting. And, and I think it's quite right because football is, and I say this all the time, football is for the people and it's played by the people. So I think it is really hard when you're asking, um, people to finish work at four o'clock and travel 200 kilometers to go and watch a football game. Um, and even without the protests, uh, when once the ultras have come back in, it's still not particularly full on some of these Monday night games. So, yeah, I think the, the, the DFL have, um, have come to their senses because it's not nice for them to sell this product across the world and see half empty stadiums or stadiums with toilet roll being thrown and banners and people not particularly happy. So, yeah, and I can only imagine that if Bundesliga 2 was followed suit, that Liga Drive will follow suit quite quickly and, and Monday night will be a football free for everyone. Which in turn means we can actually record this on a Sunday. That's yeah, that's, that's really it. the most important part about all of this. Listeners get it a day earlier, right? Eh? Yeah. You know? So everybody wins, really. Yeah. <laughs> well, guys, um, I think that more or less covers it for for this week. We've we've had a lot to discuss, but we've discussed it rather rapidly. I'm I'm, I'm impressed. Um, uh, we've obviously got um. Plenty of football coming away on the Football Grad Network, but uh, Manu, what, what would you like to draw people's attention to? Yeah, um, well, we actually, I think in England they're busy this week. This is what we call in Germany an English week, right? With midweek fixtures. Um, we don't have any midweek games other than this Monday fixture. So, yeah, there's going to be a couple of features, I guess, on footballgrad.com. Uh, keep your eyes open on that. Um, same with the other networks. And then as we get closer to the weekend, the, the Bundesliga previews, um, we always do some previews on other games played around Europe as well. Um, they're going to come at the, 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 the second half of the, of the week. They're going to come your way. But other than that, it's, it's going to be a bit of more quiet week. Um, the last one before we get into the real thick of things and in, around Christmas time. Yes, indeed, and things will really heat up then. Uh, Chris, uh, what have you got going on uh, this coming week? Um, no midweek games. Are you going to be okay? Are you going to be bored? <laughs> Bryce, I am not going to be bored. I'm not going to be bored at all. As um, as listeners will well know, as well as covering German football, I cover Liverpool, who are knee-deep into 11 fixtures in 40 days. So um, I'll be pretty busy. Don't worry about me. No, of course. We're not going to worry about you at all because you'll be... But yeah, guys, if if you're um, looking for more football in the meantime, I'm sure the Football Grad uh, Network will have plenty to offer. Just head over to at Football Grad Live on Twitter as well. Um, we also uh, welcome you to get in touch with the podcast. Uh, there may be more questions from uh, Southampton fans or or about anything, to be honest. So uh, make sure to get in touch, and we'll we'll try and uh, cover what we can for you in future podcasts um thank you very much for tuning in and yeah until next week when we've got a rather exciting weekend with the riviere derby until then i'll feed in ich war seit wochen auf diesen tag und tanz vor freude über den asphalt als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied.
Lass mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.